4: There's nothing they can ask me that I won't give them a proper answer to. Some people will like it, some people won't like it. I agree it. with that. But look, you answered the question. Let questions. Biden sit through an interview like this; he'll be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, "Mommy, mommy, please take the me home." The fact is, the president is out there. He's out there in this boiling heat with me for an hour. Took all the questions. Uh, you can like his answers or dislike them, but he had he had answers. And Joe Biden hasn't faced that kind of scrutiny. Me and breakfast,
3: mad. I didn't think we'd get along, but turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your, Your racial identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything should be looked look at through the lens of, of race. Thanks. You owe me a coke. <sighs> we both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know
5: <laughs> What a what a day! What a day! What a day!
3: <clears throat>
5: Sorry, I'll, t- I'll explain what you're hearing right there a little bit later as we get into the show, but. Um, it, there is so much happening. There's so much interesting stuff happening. If you listen to Jerry Callahan's one when I'm going to yell at my daughter. Sally? Yes. Can you please be a little quiet? I'm recording the podcast, okay? Okay, but James is the loud one. What is James doing? Talking. James, please be quiet, guys, okay? okay. You're breaking the seamless continuity in the podcast. Okay. All right. Okay. Um where was I? Oh, yes, I'll be on Jerry tomorrow. You're probably listening on Tuesday morning, so that'll be today. That wasn't yelling, by the way, you can tell. That wasn't yelling, that was um, soft and gentle parenting. And um, so I'll be on tomorrow, but they've got uh, this great audio that they had today. He and Aiden had this uh, this stuff that was uh, just crazy about it. It, it, an activist in Boston who's... who's uh, <laughs> Just has got a very interesting belief system but she's she's supported she's very popular in political circles and everybody courts her for her opinion etc and we'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow we've written, and, uh, written an editorial on the on the subject it's just crazy man this is an interesting year isn't it so first of all i want to uh, yesterday of course everybody chris wallace was the greatest hero in the face of the earth on the face of the earth, because, you know, he really put the uh, screws to Donald Trump in that interview. I thought it was a good interview, a strong interview by Chris Wallace. And for Trump, I thought he did a good job. But if you don't like President Trump or Donald Trump, and you just the way he speaks and obfuscates and flimflams, gets to you, you're gonna hate it and think he just sounded like an idiot. But I thought that he used that was all street for Trump. That was all street, street, uh, Talking, I thought he made some good points. And Wallace is tough. And if it does nothing more than bring Joe Biden out, then it's going to be politically a politically smart thing. So Chris Wallace was everybody's great hero yesterday. After you know, putting grilling Trump for one hour today, now he is everybody's villain because he. Uh, Essentially, opined about Donald Trump's opponent.
4: The fact is, the president is out there. He's out there in this broiling heat with me for an hour. Took all the questions. Uh, you can like his answers or dislike them, but he had he had answers. And Joe Biden hasn't faced that kind of scrutiny. Hasn't faced that kind of exposure. Uh, yet you got to feel at some point he's going to come out from the basement. I know he's done a few few events but but pretty selected and oftentimes just reading from a teleprompter he's gonna have to do be more exposed and take questions just as tough as the ones i asked this president i hope he'll do it with me or maybe a little bit less i hope he'll do it with you uh (laughs) but you know he's he's gonna have to do it with 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 a bunch of people and of course he's gonna have those three debates with the president and you know that the president can handle himself in these debates. The quest- I think there is an open question there. Can Joe Biden do the same?
5: That is absolutely an open question. We're going to find out. Now, we're going to go to Joel Pollack from Breitbart in just a moment. And uh, he has just written a book called Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? And that book is now out on Amazon. And he's been covering, he co- he covered the entire democratic field uh, for about a year, and uh, we'll get some stories from the road from him, his own his own um, his own interactions with Joe Biden, one of which was uh, became virally famous. And um, he's an interesting guy. I first talked to him about four years ago, actually, at the Republican convention in Cleveland, which was a really good time. And uh, he's an interesting guy, and uh, we'll get, get to that in a second. First, I want to play. Just do a couple of fun things here. There are these guys I'd never heard of them before. These guys on Twitter who put together this bit. Their name is uh, The Boycast Okay, so from a podcast, The Boycast with Ryan Long, it's on youtube.com Ryan Long Comedy and uh, patreon.com called The Boycast ca- The Boycast and this sk- this bit, it's a video bit is called When Wokes and Racists Actually Agree on Everything. And it's very smart. So the the video just shows one guy, two guys in t-shirts. One says woke and one says racist. And that's the entire bit, is there similarities.
3: When me and Brad first met, I didn't think we'd get along, but turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your, your racial, racial identity is the is most important thing. thing. Everything, everything should be looked at through the lens, lens of, of race. race. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Damn. We both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know any. I say colored people, but as long as we're classifying them, we both think minorities are a united group. who think the same and act the same. And vote the same. You don't want to lose your black card. Sorry, I don't know. I just think we should roll, roll back, back discrimination, discrimination so we can hire based on race, race jinx. again. Jinx, now you owe me a Coke. Hey, tell them what you told me yesterday. White actors should only do voices for white cartoon characters. been saying that for years. Stick to your own. Us white people, we have so much privilege. I agree. It is a privilege to be white. Ask him about interracial dating. All I said is that black men who date white women have internalized racism, and white men that date ethnic women are fetishizing them. Guys against interracial dating now. Like, am I being pranked? Did Boomer put you up to this? Ugh, you know that taco place is white-owned? White people should be making white foods, like crap, macaroni and cheese, no seasoning, not even salt. It's like he's a mind reader. I mean, I've been pushing for segregation forever and my man does what? I created an improv comedy show exclusively for ethnic people. Guy segregates comedy on my birthday. White people need to stop wearing dreadlocks and they need to stop appropriating black people's music. Shaved heads and country music, the way God intended. You know all white people are racist. I'm listening. Even if you have a black wife or a black friend group, you're still really racist. You know, he just kicked a guy out of the organization for having a black girlfriend, but if you can promise me he's still really racist, we'll consider letting him back in. Black people should only shop shop at black businesses. businesses. I guess the only thing we really disagree about is I think white people are the root of all evil. But what did I tell you, though? If we can narrow that down to a certain group of tiny hatted white people, I think we can come to an understanding. (laughs) Technically, I don't consider Jewish people white Neither do I.
5: (laughs) How funny are those guys? That is... The Ryan Long, the boy cat, the boys cast with Ryan Long. And uh, and those guys are just hilarious. Okay, one other cool thing I want to get out of the way before we talk to Joel Pollock of Breitbart is um, something I missed. A couple of weeks ago, there was this viral video of Billy Joel. He was walking down the street in Long Island, and he saw a piano that had been pushed to the curb to be thrown out. So anyway, he goes to this piano, and he starts playing it and then it's very funny he's so Long Island and then you'll hear he's like this is a perfectly good piano and he's checking it out and he's like uh, it, it's just very interesting just to show it's just like it's just a, a, a regular guy and nobody somebody's on the sidewalk near him I don't know if they recognize him because in this video he's wearing a a really dorky like helmet I don't know and he's a little puffy these days Billy so I don't know if anybody can understand who he was but I just love this so here he is he finds a piano he starts playing <laughs>
1: good just
3: needs tuning and the finish is beat
5: the finish no. is beat.
3: It's a perfectly good piano. It's a shame to throw it out. <laughs> she at
2: least donated to uh St. Vincent de Paul or something.
3: There's a rip store
5: right over here. It's store. They'd
3: probably Bring take it. it. There. <laughs> yeah.
5: laminated keys uh pedals work pedals work the action is great the mechanics are perfect it's just how great is that billy joel piano appraiser i just love that all right this is why you came probably today to hear from joel pollock and here we go Veins bulging, specifically. No, he did not. Sir. He said
4: he walked out, and he said, "Let's this get way. this straight." He said there were
1: very <laughs> fine people in both groups. They're chanting anti-Semitic slogans, carrying
5: no, like flags. Are you aware? Right? Right? Okay. That gentleman who was uh, dangerously close to uh, getting uh, cold cocked by the now Democratic nominee for president is Joel Pollack. He is uh, from Breitbart. He's the author of the book Red November um will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? Joel, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
5: So it's funny, I remember that last year that the tussle with Joe Biden and thought that he got extra personal. You don't usually see even if I like let's even if you, you know that somebody's from a news organization that's a little hostile to you, it was kind of in your face. Did, were you surprised? Well, that's
1: Joe Biden's pattern. People think of him as kind of backslabbing or a hair sniffing guy, you know, sort of affable when things are nice. But the moment you confront him, he gets very snippy. There's that famous video of the exchange in 1987 when he was running for president and he was confronted by a reporter about his past plagiarism and he snapped at the reporter and said, I bet my IQ is higher than yours and all of that. So Joe Biden gets very snippy when he's confronted. It happened with voters also, not just journalists. He was in Iowa and there was a man who confronted him about Hunter Biden's associations in Ukraine and Biden got his temper up. You know, so that's just who he is. I wasn't expecting anything different. What was different was I was the first reporter I think to ask him a really tough question. Most of the yeah. softballs that were thrown at him did not obviously elicit that kind of reaction and I happened to catch him as he was on his way out of the press conference. And after that, the reporters, I think, got a little more assertive with subsequent speakers. This was at the Iowa State Fair at their Des Moines Register soapbox, which they have every four years for the candidates, aspiring candidates to get up and address a crowd at the Iowa State Fair for 20 minutes. And then afterward, they have a press conference. So the candidates come there knowing they're gonna be asked questions, but most of the questions were pretty easy. And the journalists were going pretty easy on Joe Biden until that question.
5: You know, so we've seen, we saw that, okay? And you, so he can get bristly with reporters, like you were saying. But when going after the woman at the town hall about the dog-faced, whatever it was, the supposed John <laughs> Wayne thing, calling the other guy fat, maybe that was just a mistake. But the guy at the, at the auto plant, he asked him to step outside. The guy who was confronting him about the uh, automatic (laughs) weapons. He literally said, step outside.
1: Picking a fight with a guy about 40 years younger than him with about 50 fewer pounds on him. I mean, I don't. Yeah, that's how Joe is. He just talks that way. But These are voters, Joel. These
5: These are voters. He needs these people. You can't threaten to beat the crap out of them. Well, you
1: can if it sort of enhances your working class guy sort of persona, right? If you want to show them you're just uh, another Irish worker from Pennsylvania, you know, you just challenge them to fight because that's Joe's idea of something that, you know, a union worker would do. A lot of his persona, this kind of working class lunchbox, lunch bucket Joe kind of thing, is just that. It's a persona. I mean, if you look at his life it's not a working class life really he goes to college and he plays a bit of football and he chases the girls around and he becomes a lifeguard and then he goes to law school it's very suburban you know he wasn't really growing up in the mean streets of scranton so to speak (laughs) so you know he kind of puts on working class airs for the benefit of voters obama did the same although it was always a little bit more contrived with obama uh, even more so than biden because obama would do little things like roll up his sleeves you know, he'd take his jacket off. I mean, it just didn't, didn't go very far, but a lot of this is persona and all politicians use a kind of persona to project what they want people to think of them.
5: Well, there's with, a, sorry, go with
1: ahead. Biden, yeah. The idea of challenging that guy in the Michigan auto plant to fight, it was ridiculous. And the guy was just asking Biden about his views on the second amendment. And the idea that you're going to confront voters who challenge you is, is sort of silly, but you know, again, he never gets held accountable Uh, by the media for that behavior except that one time in 87 when when the media want to get you out of a campaign they're very good at holding you accountable when they want to prop you up they're very good at giving you softballs
5: yeah in 87 as well i i think that um he i think they were they were um offended personally by the plagiarism by the stuff with um the i forgot the 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 politician in england that he had plagiarized and all the other stuff i think that the media was like really you're going to use this guy's speech word for word and expect us to not notice that that's insulting so i think they hated that much like the media i think is insulted by donald trump because they don't like they don't lie he doesn't use double speak that they're used to he comes from queens it's a lot you know he sounds different it's as if he's gauche to them
1: yeah yeah and Look, we're also in a unique environment, right? When when candidates react to voters, they know that there are cameras everywhere. So they have to be more aware of how they look and how they present themselves. And the funny thing about following Biden around on the campaign trail was I just didn't get the sense that he was always so aware. In his mind, it's still 10, 20 years ago. And there's sort of a setup and there's a curtain and you hide yourself a little bit from the audience. But he also just didn't have the budget for a long time to kind of create this persona. So I was actually quite amazed at how ordinary he appeared sometimes, how uh, he didn't have security. He didn't have um, a lot of people around him. There's that victory speech on Super Tuesday he gave on a basketball court of all places in L.A. And when I say basketball court, I'm not talking about, you know, a big stadium. I mean, it was literally like a place you'd play pickup games in the neighborhood. It was really small. He had no support, really. He had no staff. And these anti-dairy protesters jump up on the stage. I write about this in Red November. And Simone Sanders, his press secretary, has to tackle the anti-dairy protesters because there's no security. And I'm a conservative, and I would prefer that Donald Trump be reelected and Joe Biden lose. But you get scared for the guy when you see something like that happen. I mean, everybody there, I don't care what your political views, you don't want to see – a political candidate get rushed by a random member of the audience. You don't know who these people are. They happen to be women who were probably going to take off their shirts or something. And, you know, they did that with Bernie Sanders in in Nevada the week before. Uh, So they weren't really going to harm Joe Biden. But we didn't know that initially You just see a person jumping on stage and, you know, you don't know if they're armed. You don't know what they're going to do. It's a moment like half a second of just sheer horror when there's nobody to stop them. And then uh One of the guys came out and, and tackled one of them, and Simone Sanders tackled the other.
5: Yeah, no it was a I, good job by her I joke, what's that? It's a good job by her,
1: yeah, I joked the next day you know it was around the time of the n f l draft. I joked that the Chicago Bears were looking for an offensive lineman, and uh she might fit the bill so uh, <laughs>
5: well, one of those things when you look at her, even that scene where it seems that biden Joe Biden was the last one to be aware that something was happening, and you're seeing more and more of this more and more in, in in his, From his cave, he'll be exasperated sometimes. He can't find the words. He'll put his head down. Did you notice on the trail that he seemed to be diminished in his, his abilities?
1: Yes, yes. There was one stop in particular in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, where – and I write about this in the book. But he gave a speech, and it was his stump speech, and he left out the ending. Now, nobody would have noticed if you hadn't seen this ending before. There's a book that inspired me to write my book. It's by the late David Halberstam. He wrote a book about Robert Kennedy called The Unfinished Odyssey of Robert Kennedy. And Robert Kennedy had a tagline at the end that was so familiar that reporters knew it was the signal to go to the bus. <laughs> so, you know, uh, he he would he would end his speeches by saying, as George Bernard Shaw said, some men imagine – I can't remember the quote right. exactly. But the, the the reporters turned it into, as George Bernard Shaw said, run for the bus. So, <laughs> You know, Trump had that as well. I wrote about Trump's campaign in 2016, and he had a tagline when he would say, we will be free again. We'll make America rich again. And then you go to the bus. That's right. You know, it's just going to end the same way they always end. Make America great again. So Biden had a kind of tagline, but he forgot it. And people started leaving because they thought it was over and the music started playing. So these people are filing toward the exits And. They're leaving. They're through the door. And then Biden realizes he forgot his ending. And so he grabs the microphone back and he starts shouting the end of his speech. And he's shouting over the music and they kind of turn it down a little bit, but they don't want to turn it off because that would be too abrupt. So they they kind of turn it down and he's shouting over the speech and the people are still leaving because, you know, especially with older people, they're not going to come back to their seats. They're running against the crowd. No, they just keep walking toward the exits. I actually have video of it and it's so funny. And I... Thought it, I mean, funny and sad at the same time, because I thought to myself, this guy's not right. This is not right. This is not normal behavior. And I didn't think he was going to make it through a campaign if, yeah. if that's how he behaved. It just didn't seem like he was 100 percent. And I still don't think he's quite 100 percent. I think he's functional most of the time. But he never once came to any of the spin rooms after the debates. Every campaign, every candidate with the exception of Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden, came to the spin room. Buttigieg would show up for prearranged interviews with the big cable networks, but he never actually came and talked to anybody. I think that was a deliberate choice because obviously he's very good off the cuff uh, when he wants to be. I think he was just afraid of making gaffes and and, and so forth. He wanted to establish some distance between himself and the reporters. But Hmm. Biden just didn't come back at all. Bernie Sanders did. I interviewed Bernie Sanders once in the spin room. Uh, I talked to a lot of them. some of them were a little more inaccessible than others. Cory Booker uh, dodged. He he, do- he tried to get away from me as fast as he could. <laughs> but um, one of our reporters tried asking Buttigieg a question, and he sprinted right by her. She was asking about Afghanistan, you know, a legitimate right. question, and he had been there, and he just r- walked right by her, was not going to answer any questions from anyone in the spin room. Eventually, I wrote a story about why is Buttigieg ducking the spin room. Yeah. Uh, but, Bi- but Biden did every single time, and – I think the the simplest explanation was it was too late at night. You know, these debates, they end, you know, sometimes close to midnight. And Biden just didn't want to be out past his bedtime, to be honest. I mean, I think it was just <laughs> very late at night for him to be functional. And, and there was always a chance he'd say something. I mean, with Biden, there's always a chance he'll make some sort of gaffe. But I think especially late at night when you get to a certain age. You're not as sharp after, you know, 11 p.m. So I, I think that was a deliberate decision not to go out there.
5: We're talking to Joel Pollack. He is the author of Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? Get it at uh, Amazon and other places. Joel, um, another thing that Biden was doing during the, the debates that I've never seen before is seeding back the rest of his time. He'd be done and say, oh, go,
1: go <laughs> yeah. Ahead. And he'd talk. Well, he, Yeah, he would look at the clock and say, well, I got to stop now. Right. You know, nobody else did that. Yeah, it was it was an odd habit he had of just sticking to the time. And in a way, that's what he's doing now, right? He's just sort of biding his time. He's yeah. biding, his, biding his time. He's he's sitting in his basement and hoping that the polls stay where they are and letting time take away. And every week he emerges and gives a little speech, which sounds just like the speech he gave a week before. And that's how he's going to run out the <laughs> clock.
5: I, you're right. And, and so far, it seems to be working. But. But, you know, even so, there's still weekly is something that happens with Biden that is notable while he's down there and it's still I mean, he's still screwing up. There's no doubt about that. And they've got to be just.
1: Well, did you hear the last one when there was a bird in the room (laughs) last week? He gave gave a speech about green energy, I think it was, and there was a bird that flew into the room. Maybe it was the economic speech. Anyway, there's a bird in the room and he got so distracted by the bird and then. It started raining on the roof of the building and it made a noise. Oh, no. You couldn't couldn't really tell what it was. It was just sort of a little static in the background. That's how it sounded at home or, you know, if you're watching on the live streaming video. And he pauses and he starts talking about the rain. And it wasn't just sort of an off-the-cuff digression where, you know, Trump does that sort of thing all the time. Something happens and he meanders into another subject and then he comes back to where he was before. But that's all ad-libbed with Trump. It's all part of his appeal With Biden, it's almost like he just really has trouble holding on to the thread. And I don't think anybody can really deny it anymore. That's why the vice presidential pick is being talked about so much, because people are really thinking about who would be president instead of Biden. Actually, Biden himself said it. I mean, it was one of those Biden moments in the primary early in the year. He said he would have to nominate someone much younger because he might die in office, (laughs) literally. (laughs) He literally said that. You know, I'm going to pull that up while I'm talking to you. I've talked about it in my book. I mean, I actually quote him. um, But it was the most bizarre thing. He said, you know, I I might die in office and people kind of laughed nervously.
5: Well, that's, yeah, that's straight up scary. I mean, he always intimates. He's been very clear that he's like a transitional president. So he's a seat holder, essentially. And that's enough. But to literally say that he's going to pass away. Jesus it's going to be a it's going to be a dark uh, a dark exercise. All right, we dropped there for a moment. We are back with Joel Pollack. He is uh, author of the book Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? We were just talking about Joe Biden losing a step and um let's see. I, I actually you were hunting for some audio I think of him
2: uh, Yeah, it's it's okay. Uh he basically, I, I can't find it now because of our internet going out. We have no idea exactly why. <laughs> there has been a string of cyber attacks around the world, though. Maybe it's related to that. But in any case, he said that he would consider a much younger running mate. And he said that that was because someone uh, might be necessary because he might die. And and people <laughs> kind of laughed a little bit, but, but he said, not, you know, not a joke.
5: <laughs> not of a joke. course, of course. Of
2: uh, course. That's, that's uh, honestly, it was honestly, oh, here your Skype calls coming through. Oh, uh, that was honestly something that, that he was, that he was already thinking about, so.
5: So it's very interesting now for, so he's got to choose a running mate now, and I, people are thinking that he's going to choose um, a, a black woman to run, and uh, you know, Kamala Harris would seemingly fit the bill, but she did stab him during that, uh, during that race. I mean, is this something that he can just look past?
2: you know because she attacked him she's the only person who can really absolve him and she attacked him over racial issues so that's normally a deal breaker but she will certainly i think absolve him forgive him and all that stuff to get onto the ticket there's no doubt and because she's the one who made the attack she will be the one in a position to offer that sort of forgiveness (laughs) so i think that that's you know that's that's what's going to
5: happen. So she's if, in if she's the selection. So, uh, so one other thing that jumped out about the race that I could never get over was in CNN on CNN when the hot mic and you you've been in broadcasting for a while when the hot mic caught Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders having an exchange something she said uh, like you lied about something about saying a woman couldn't win or something and Sanders said I'm not going t- to talk about this Liz no I didn't no I didn't. And somehow CNN had a hot mic on this. It was the only hot mic on the stage. And somehow they had their camera rolling closer towards the two of them. I mean, is this...
2: (laughs) Yeah, what a mystery it was that that hot mic was open. But that whole exchange... So Elizabeth Warren had just leaked that in a private meeting in December 2018, Bernie Sanders had told her he didn't think a woman could win for president. Now... I don't know what he said to her, and his version is obviously different from hers, but she made this accusation and then repeated it, and he said it didn't happen. So you can expect that, right? Two people have a conversation, one remembers it one way, another remembers it another way, and he adamantly insisted he never said that. It also doesn't make sense that he would say that. He might have said something like, well, it's harder for a woman to win, but I don't think he would have been discouraging her from running. I mean. Bernie Sanders may be many things, but one thing he isn't is a bigot. Right. And I was always treated fairly by the Sanders campaign. I always saw them treat other people fairly. They had some labor trouble and some complaints about unequal treatment treatment you know, within the campaign by senior staff and all kinds of things like that. But it just doesn't strike me as a Bernie Sanders thing to do. And in any case, he said he didn't do it. She said he did. And then when the hot mic was on, you know, the debate was over, they left the hot mic on, and she said to Sanders, are you calling me a liar Yes. on national television? Right. And he said, no, let's not do this here. Because they were still in front of everyone, and that's the stage of the debate where everyone's supposed to shake hands and make nice to each other and walk off together. So it was really, really
5: awkward. Yes, and that's the same thing. Remember, the CNN panelist had asked the question as if it was already fact, you know, during that debate.
2: Right. And I'm trying to remember which uh, CNN moderator it was, but... Uh, She asked Elizabeth Warren, or no, she asked Sanders about it, and he denied saying it. And then she asked a follow-up question to Warren as if it were true. In other words, as if Sanders hadn't just denied it. It was so bizarre. So it made it look like an obvious setup. I think that was the Iowa debate, if memory serves. And I think Elizabeth Warren's strategy of attacking Sanders actually backfired. Because I think that Democrats wanted to see someone who could unify the party, and by attacking she failed to do that.
5: Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. Um, one other, uh, two other campaign questions. Then I just want to get to the title of the book and what this bodes for November. But what the hell happened to Beto O'Rourke? I mean, I work at the Lowell Sun, and Jack Kerouac is a legend around town. A year and a half ago, Beto O'Rourke was essentially Jack Kerouac, and we're all supposed to be excited about him. We learned about all the books that he read and his music, etc. This guy just imploded. What happened to him?
2: Well, first of all, he was very physically awkward, and that's something Trump picked up on right away. Uh, O'Rourke had this habit of jumping on tables and waving his arms around when he spoke, and it it just was so bizarre that people started to realize this wasn't really to be taken seriously. It was almost like an imitation of Obama's speaking style, coupled with something else. It just just didn't seem right. Uh, Beto also failed to impress in any of the debates. He didn't seem to have any gravitas. He had some talents, I will say. I I went with him, and I write about this in Red November. I went to uh, a protest outside a migrant facility that was holding teenagers who were caught crossing the border illegally. And he was there, and he did something none of the other candidates did, which is he listened very closely and carefully to what he was being told by the activists around him. Most of the other... Candidates came and went, and they usually said something. But he really listened. He's a very good listener, or at least he gives the appearance of listening. But then he got on a step stool and he started making a speech, and it just went on way too long. And he could feel the campaign slipping away, I think, at that point already. It was the first debate, and he just really hadn't made an impact. So, you know, he just never really got off the ground. And the final straw for him, actually, was when he kicked me out of one of his events. And I, I tell that story in Red November, but basically he kicked me out of a meeting at a black college named uh, Benedict College in South Carolina and it was it was really bizarre because there was no reason to kick me out they just saw the Breitbart guy was there and so they just uh, to- got a police officer to escort me off the campus and later they had to sort of climb down and apologize and you know, but it was just the beginning of the end because he had styled himself as a kind of champion of a free press when he ran for Senate against Ted Cruz and it turned out to be anything but in
5: practice yeah that's interesting that they'd toss a reporter even if you're from some place like Breitbart um, into them obviously that's antithetical to all their belief system but that's very telling a good telling sign of maybe of a bad campaign that doesn't know better you know because that gives you something to do you know it gives you copy already and it um it just looks bad. It's, it's bad. Like so, the last um, does uh, Andrew Yang have a future?
2: Oh sure, you know, and he's one of the smarter guys out there. Um, notably, he was one of the only Democrats who actually offered to work with the White House mm-hmm. when the coronavirus started. He offered his help. He offered suggestions. We have a stimulus check program partly because Andrew Yang suggested it, and. He worked with the White House on that program. So that, I thought, was a mature leadership. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's a sign of maturity. We didn't see that from Biden or Sanders. So I think that he did, did himself a uh, you know, great service there by doing that. And I think he does have a future, probably not a political future, but maybe a future in government.
5: Yeah, and his followers seem like a really nice bunch of people. I've uh, interviewed <laughs> the
2: Yang Gang. Yeah, yeah, they're
5: great. They're great. Okay, so the book is called Red November." Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? Right now, Joel Pollock, it, it, I think it looks like, <laughs> it looks like culturally anyway, with this de-evolution that's happening. Uh, how are we not heading for socialism?
2: Well. You make a good point, which is that regardless of who wins or loses this election, we still have this very powerful and rambunctious left wing to deal with. And, you know, ideally, in my ideal world, you would see the Democrats lose several elections in succession, and that's what it'll take to get the left to rethink its strategy. You also might see some effects of the coronavirus honestly I mean people are going to be rethinking higher education, which is where all of this ideological stuff actually lives and thrives if people aren't going on campus anymore if they're not going to be subjecting themselves to this kind of indoctrination, maybe you get sort of a more diverse perspective I mean there's nothing wrong with reading Marx, but that's not all you should read you should read some Hayek you know <laughs> you should read you should get a little bit more diversity in your intellectual diet so maybe people will rethink that but you know in in the early 90s, or mid-80s, mid late 80s, early 90s, the Democratic Party lost several elections in a row to Ronald Reagan and then George H.W. Bush, and they had to rethink what they were doing, who they were pitching to, and they came up with Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton won the next election with an assist from Ross Perot, but basically he won running as a centrist, and people remember those days, the 90s, as probably the happiest and least divided days in recent American history. I'm not sure it was because of Clinton's personal merits, because of course he had some very deep (laughs) personal flaws, but it was the approach they took where they were pitching to the American middle. And they also had Republicans in opposition in Congress and Clinton found a way to work with them. So the system was working pretty well. You had a balance of power, you had a balanced budget and you allowed room for other things to take over in the culture other than politics. You had the internet boom, the dot-com boom. You had a, a profusion of, of musical artists coming out, lots of different styles. You had, you had art, you had architecture. I mean, the 90s, I, I don't want to romanticize them because they were kind of grungy, but, but you know, it, it was a happier time, I think many people would say, than, than than much that followed. Now, there are things that happened to us as a country we can't do anything about necessarily, you know, like 9-11 and so forth, and that definitely threw a wrench in the works. But I think that what would be best in my ideal world is if you had a diminishing of the role politics plays in each of our lives because we all should be doing more productive things with our time than sitting on twitter and following what people are saying the horrible nasty things people say to each other on social media there's just more to life than that and unfortunately we've become a country divided by social media you know we have these great methods of communicating to one another and all they've become is tools for us to segregate into different groups And I think that that's been exacerbated by the way the media have behaved in the Trump era. They've really done their best to go to war, lead the country to war, essentially a civil war. And I don't think we're going to get quite to that point of really splitting as a country, but there are a lot of unhappy people, and I think unnecessarily so, so, I think that you know, ideally you'd have some kind of a step down from this kind of radicalism. It would take about 10 or 15 years to really work its way through the system. I thought it would be quicker, I thought that having Trump win might sort of shock people back into reality, because you could feel the left-wing stuff already happening under Obama, right? He yes. encouraged the Occupy Wall Street movement, he encouraged the Black Lives Matter movement when it started he encouraged all this stuff, the 99% versus the 1%. I mean, that's destabilizing. But I thought it was going to come back a bit when Trump won. And I thought people were going to realize, you know, life's pretty good. We can survive being offended once in a while, (laughs) but that's not what the other side did. And the media with the Russia collusion stuff and, you know, stormy Daniels and whatever scandal they invented that week, they just kept the country constantly at odds with itself. And, this needs to end somehow, but yes. I fear that in the current climate, if it ends with a victory by Democrats, you know, after all the rioting and the impeachment and all that stuff, you're just going to reward those kind of tactics, and I think that'll be even more destabilizing than anything we've seen so far.
5: You're right. Yeah, I think so, too, because anybody around Joe Biden, President Biden, will have to listen to radical voices, will have to bend the knee to radical voices. Whereas people in the Trump administration will tell a lot of the crazies to go to hell, I think. And so you won't. Right. they won't have to. All right. The book is Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for social, socialism? Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? The author is Joel Pollack. He is also an editor at Breitbart. Buy the book while you still can't. While well, books are still sold uh, before the Marxists take over.
2: <laughs> before books are burned and while they're still being read and sold, yes. Buy it, <laughs> buy it while you still can't.
5: Exactly. Joel, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. That was Joel Pollock. Thank you so much for listening. Find me on Twitter at Tom Shattuck. Please uh, feel free to uh, grab a subscription to the Lowell Sun. We had a, a good uh, editorial today where we talk about uh, racism and uh, hate language and, uh, you know, two, two different versions of it. And uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow.